So we're going to look this morning at Psalm 37. Text is in the bulletin and uh, also up on the screens behind me. And this this is one of those texts uh, that is um, very direct, very specific, uh, and very challenging. Uh, and it's universal uh, because it deals with the issue of envy. And uh, every single uh, breathing human being in here uh, struggles with envy uh, all the time. Let me say that again. You all struggle with envy all the time. Let me say that again. Some of you aren't struggling with your envy and have actually given into it, right? <laughs> uh, and some of us have envy and we think, oh, uh, or, or maybe what you would say is, uh, I can't help myself, right? Um, which is, I, if you can't help yourself, you're very close to the gospel. You're, you're right where God wants you. Because when you can't help yourself, who can help you? Right? So, uh, before I read the text this morning, let me, uh, uh we're just gonna read the first nine verses. Uh, let me pray and, uh, then we'll, uh, we'll read the text. Lord, we, we come to you today and, uh, we confess that, uh, uh, our desires overwhelm us and they cause us to uh, despise one another often. Uh, forgive us for that. Lord, this is a, uh, a, a very challenging uh, thing for us to think about and to repent of. Uh, it is something, it's in the air we breathe, it's in the water we drink. And so uh, we need your help today. I pray today, for, especially for those among us who are struggling mightily with unfulfilled desires uh, that tempt them to envy uh, their brothers and their sisters or even to envy uh, folks who are outside of your kingdom. Help us today. Lord, you wrote this text for people like us. You sent Jesus into the world for people like us. And you will come again, Jesus, for people like us. And so uh, help that to give us uh, hope and courage this morning. Help us to kill envy. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, Psalm 37, verses 1 to 9. A text is in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So um, one of the things to note uh, about uh, envy is uh, uh, is that it is our uh, the effect of our desires and the effect particularly of our unfulfilled desires 
that run wild uh, in our lives. And I think this is a profoundly uh, difficult and challenging sin for us, so much so that I think most of us uh, just go about our lives giving ourselves over to envy and we uh, we just try to, you know, try to tamp it down in our lives. I remember um, years ago, one of the, uh, uh, I experienced probably the deepest hole, one of the deepest holes of envy uh, in my life uh, at a uh, bagel shop. Um, I was um, meeting someone at, at, a, at a bagel shop and uh, uh, while I was in there, this is when our kids were younger, I looked around and there was a table of a dozen women or so all yucking it up. They weren't doing anything wrong. In fact, they're better. All, let me stipulate, they're better people than I am. And what I'm about to tell you is going to affirm that. Uh, they're yucking it up, having a good time. They're in their tennis outfits, their workout outfits, having a great time. Not doing anything but drinking their coffee, eating their bagels, drinking their coffee, eating their bagels. And I'm sitting there observing this. Are they doing anything wrong? No. Are they sinning? No, but I am. Because I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, their kids are at the same school my kids are at. My wife has to work. So on the one hand, That makes us better than them. On the other hand, I resent the fact that in my life, we both have to work to do what we think we're supposed to do. And they get to do what they want to do and drink coffee and eat bagels, look good in their tennis outfits and yuck it up. And it's in that moment as I'm looking at them, it's as if God takes his all-powerful fingernails And runs them down the blackboard of my life to just crush me. Ever had that experience? Ever had the experience where you you, uh, look at yourself and you look at others, you compare yourself, right? And you find that someone else's life, relationships, looks better than yours, and it causes you to resent them, right? So Psalm 37 gets at this for us because one of the envy is one of these things that we don't think a lot about and one of those things that just kind of rises up in us without any kind of warning or anything like that. And, and the thing that is so profound about it is, is that it is, uh, it's with us all the time. Right. And it it kind of circulates in our in our air and in our water. And it's something that that is going on within us all the time. And and the fact is, as I wrote at the beginning of the of the bulletin, it is a deadly sin. And it is one that God um, warns us against over and over and over and over again uh, because of its profound impact upon us. And so what I want us to do today is to take a a quick look at that, uh, to unpack that a little bit by means of looking at Psalm 37 and and then we'll, we'll try to draw some conclusions because within Psalm 37 is not only the warning against envy, but it's also got some things in it, some truth in it, some helpful grace in it for us uh, to, to put uh, envy to death. So 
those. Scott, put, put my notes up there. So the first thing that you need to note about Psalm 37 is that it is, it is a psalm that's not like a psalm. In other words, when you, when you think about psalms, usually they're like hymns, poems to God, right? Like you're singing to God, you're praying to God, hallelujah, praise you, that sort of stuff. But this is, this reads more like a proverb, right? And, and it reads more like here's some wisdom, uh, to apply to yourself as if, as if David is looking at himself and he's looking at the hearts and friends of his others. And he begins, you know, it's it's not, you know, no kind of uh, flowery language. It starts out with fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Right. Um, and so it is a it's a pretty straightforward uh, bit of advice and a bit of wisdom about how to think about this thing that wars against our souls all the time. Right. And so let's let's look at this issue of envy. Now, what exactly is envy? Well, envy is a desire to have the same thing as someone else or to be like someone else tinged with resentment that things are going well for someone else. And in your mind, they don't deserve it. Which they don't. They don't deserve it. You don't either. Right. Um, And things are not going so well for you. Right now, this is particularly true of folks, uh, of, of folks who have unfulfilled desires. You know, whenever you you uh, speak to a group this large, there are certainly people here who want to be married who are not. There are people here who want to uh, have uh, better jobs or just jobs and they're not. There are people here uh, who want to have children and they, they can't. And so this thing that goes on in our hearts and in our lives is this this thing that that uh, there's nothing wrong, uh, honestly, with those desires and there's nothing wrong with those things. What happens to us is, is that we trip over from having a desire to uh, being overwhelmed by that desire and then comparing our own circumstances with those of someone else. And ours always come up. A little bit short, right? Next slide. So uh, we begin to ask ourselves, why do they have this and I don't? Why are things going well for them and not for me? In other words, it's a gnawing on the inside that eats you up, right? You look around and you see people that seem to have all the relationships in the world. They, they seem to have great, great relationships, everything. People just love them and, and, and you are all alone and lonely, right? You, you think of people who have great status, right? And, uh, who, uh, uh, are, uh, have great reputations and you seem, uh, most often to be invisible. Other people seem to have these blessings that just fall into their laps all the time. And, and you have to work so hard and you have to give yourself over and over and over again just to hold on to the tiny little scraps of your life. Right? Um, I, whenever I think about this and I think about how, what a big profound issue this is and desire and, and the shape of our hearts, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, Jonathan Edwards was once uh, talking about the issue of getting rewards in heaven. And this is one of the ways that I know that I'm not in heaven. And one of the ways I know that God is going to do a magnificent work of, of not just sanctification, but of glorification of me to get me to be able to do this. Because what will, what, what Edwards says will happen to us in heaven is that our greatest delight will not be the rewards that God gives us. 
But our greatest delight will be seeing our brothers and sisters be honored, even above us. And that will delight our souls because we love them so much. And I think about that and I'm like, was, what was wrong with him when he wrote that? <laughs> what? 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 And that doesn't mean you don't, you don't take delight in, in the, the rewards that God's give, you know, that He will give you, the way He will bless you, the way He will, uh, 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 honor you. Well done, good and faithful servant. But it'll delight you even more to see that person, like those ladies that were sitting there in their tennis clothes, eating their bagels and drinking their coffee, that they get blessed by God will delight me. I don't know about you, but something has to change in me a lot. I'm pretty bent for that to be able to, 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 to reorient me in such a way that the grace of God, the love of God, the cross of Christ is so big that it, 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 it overwhelms me, right? Because what happens to us when we become, when we, we, we become envious is that desire, that thing that we need becomes so big to us. That it blocks out the light of the gospel, that it becomes actually bigger to us than the cross of Christ, that it becomes bigger to us than the grace of God. It becomes bigger to us than the atoning work of Christ. It becomes bigger to us even than God's just daily faithful to us because we can't see our lives. We can't find our rest in Christ until we have that thing. Right? So everywhere we look, there is an opportunity uh, for envy, right? Adam and Eve envied God and they fell into sin. Cain envied Abel's uh, reception of his offering. And what did it lead him to do? It led him to murder, Right? And the, and the thing, and, and so the, the thing about envy is, and, and this is what is so profound about it is, not only is it like a cancer that eats you up, not only is it this kind of thing that, that, uh, that, that, you know, becomes this profound thing for you, but the, the big problem with envy is it keeps us from obedience. And let me explain why that is, because if, if obedience is summarized by love to God and love to neighbor. You can't love the neighbor that you resent because of God's blessing to them. And you can't love God if you resent him for giving your neighbor what you don't have. Right? So it is, it is a, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, uh, uh crazy thing that, that, uh, uh that happens to us, right? And so uh, to love then means at least at the very beginning beginning of this, one of the ways I've got to get at this is, is to stop comparing myself. Um, I, uh, um, one of the things that I love to do uh, whenever I am watching a football game or something like that is when the commercials come on, I love to turn the sound off. And try to figure out what they're advertising. <laughs> right? 
or or just what are these images communicating to me? What is it that's happening here on the screen that's supposed to make me want something? And one of one of my favorite uh, ad campaigns, and they, they've had several of them, is for those stationary bikes, the Peloton. You ever heard of that, the Peloton? Really super attractive, sweaty people <laughs> on these things with some person on a screen yelling at you to pedal harder right <laughs> and 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 you're like you know this this looks like this but you know what i envy that i don't envy the person on the bike i don't even envy the bike they're always in the best looking houses with like a view out over the the Tetons, or uh, there there's a window out upon you know this beautiful city or something like that, and you're like, you know, who cares about the bike? I want that house, <laughs> right? So so the, so the fact is, it, and I begin to mock and hate the person because I'm like, not only are they good looking, not only can they afford a Peloton. Not only do they have the time to be able to ride a Peloton, they live in a beautiful house. I hate them. <laughs> right? Now, we can kind of laugh at that and we kind of mock that. But but the, the truth of the matter is that that is the issue with envy because you can't love somebody that you've given yourself over to envy. You can't. And ultimately, envy doesn't land on the, the on the doorstep of this person who has who's better looking, smarter, better relationships, more money, better status. Doesn't land on on their doorstep. It ultimately lands on God's doorstep, doesn't it? Because God gave them that, and they didn't deserve it. I deserve it more, right? So, how do we fight this? I mean, if 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 this is such a thing that it might ultimately derail uh, our ability to love our neighbor and our ability to love our God, what what are the means that God gives us in this text here to begin to, to to war against this? Well, the first thing that David wants us to understand is is that there's a God who sees. Right? He says, "Don't fret yourself because of evil doers. Don't be envious of wrongdoers. They'll soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord." Right. So in other words, what he's saying here is, look, God sees your situation. He's not he's not uninvolved. He's not disengaged. He understands. He sees you. He hears you. He understands exactly what's going on. And and this God who sees and hears and understands will in his time move on your behalf and you will be vindicated and you will be satisfied and his justice will cover the earth like the water covers this planet. And so whatever else may be true, whatever else may be going on in our hearts and our lives, whatever else may be may be happening here, what we understand is that this momentary, and that's what it is, momentary, although it may seem like it's going on forever, but this snapshot in our lives where we are overwhelmed by a desire that causes us to resent uh, 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 sinners, it causes us to resent uh, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, it causes us to, to, to resent uh, folks that are around us. What, whatever that momentary thing is, it is only momentary. And though it may overwhelm me and it may own me and it may cause me all sorts of grief, the fact of the matter is there is a God who sees. And you know what that God sees about you? 
He sees how broken you are. He sees how uh, disturbed you are by this. He sees how you might even be tempted and willing to desert him to get that thing. And you know what else he sees about you? He also sees that as soon as you get that thing, because you've told him, God, if you just give me this, I'll be content. Guess what? The second he gives you that thing, you know what's going to happen? Hey, let me tell you about this other thing. Because that's the nature of the human heart. We are grasping all the time, right? We are, uh, you know, uh, Calvin said that our hearts are idle factories. Well, that, that may be true, but but I know that my heart is, is not a, an idle factory. My heart is running on desire all the time. Right? And desire that becomes so overwhelming to me that it kind of blocks out the sun. I can't see anything else but that. But God sees me, he knows me, he loves me, and he is at work even in this kind of storm that is my desire, storm that is my life, storm that is my temptation to to hate my neighbor because they have what I want, right? Next slide. The next thing he says is to trust in the Lord and do good anyway. I put the anyway in there because uh, because the, the, the fact of the matter is that that's really what he's getting at, right? Why is it necessary for David to tell us, trust the Lord and do good? I mean, why do you need to tell uh, someone to do good? It's like when our, our kids were little and one day uh, one of our kids opened the um, the dishwasher and jumped up and down on the door. And you're like... You're going crazy like you're destroying that. And he's like, well, you never told me not to do that. (laughs) I didn't I didn't know that was wrong. Right. It's as if why does God have to tell what is the God who is the source of all good? Say, hey, trust me and give yourself over to doing good. Because the fact is, our our tendency in that is to think, at best, you know, we do good to get God to give us what we want. Because we're tempted all the time to think God's relationship with us, his connection to us is based on a contract and not a covenant of grace, right? But we trust in him and we give ourselves over to what he has told us is good. So that what happens to us is, is that we will dwell in the land and feed. That's what the Hebrew actually says on his faithfulness. Because you see what, what Psalm 37 is really saying to us is the same thing that Jesus said to us in the Sermon on the Mount. And that is the meek will inherit the earth. The most outrageous promise. The craziest thing maybe ever to come out of Jesus's mouth, because you and I know it's not the meek that inherits the earth. It's the lucky and the ruthless and the powerful and the rich. They're the inheritors. The meek get crushed, right? And yet what Jesus is getting at here and what David is telling us is, no, you know what? There, there is this God who loves you, who orders the affairs of your life for your good and his glory. And, and you, you entrust yourself to him. You give yourself over to him and you take him at his word, not only about what you believe, 
But you ask him to enable you in the midst of your brokenness and in the midst of your living every day with an unfulfilled desire that he would give you the energy and the ability to do, to be, to trust, to believe, right? And then there's this crazy verse, the most misused, misunderstood, maybe one of the most hated verses and for some people, anyway, uh, in the whole of the scriptures, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because we read that as an if then statement, right? If I will just delight myself in the Lord, then he is on the hook because I can put God on the hook to give me the desires of my heart. Right. Um, and so uh, I know this is a uh, for many of you, I've, we've talked about this in my office before that for many of you, this is a. This is a hard scripture, right? Because you think you're doing that. And and you think, you know, if if I just do this, God will give me a baby or a husband or a wife or uh, he'll he'll cure me or he'll heal me or he'll um, make me not so alone or make me not so broken or whatever. So I I came across this quote from John Piper that I think is is helpful because he says, now, that's an amazing promise. Because envy usually arises from not having the desire of your heart. Right? You will see somebody that has something that you wish you had, and you'll see that this desire is missing in this life. I've I've said this numerous times before, but... um, one of the great things I love about my job is doing weddings and I love to get, you know, to be down front and watch the people stream in and, and to look at the bridesmaids on this side and the groomsmen on this side. You don't look at the groomsmen very much because they're pretty boring, but it's always interesting to see what's going on with the bridesmaids. And I remember a few years ago, several weddings I did that the, these bridesmaids would be there and, and, and they would be, be all broken up crying, just weeping, sometimes even sobbing. And I, you know, I'm like, oh, it is so awesome that you love your friends so much. You are so ecstatic about them getting married that you're just overcome with emotion. And they're like, I can't stand it. I want a stinking husband so bad. It's killing me. Well, if you got a husband, he's stinking. I'm, 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 I'm sure of that. But the, but the, the fact of the matter is, that's exactly. That's exactly what happens to us, right? Even at a happy, loving, wonderful occasion like that, we can, we can still be looking around and see that my desire is missing. So the best way, he says, uh, to fight uh, is to go to this promise and say, now, Lord, you've made a covenant with me here in verse 4 that if I delight in you, that you'll give me the desires of my heart. You say that if I put my delight in you, you'll give me the desires of my heart. So I'm now going to delight in you. That sounds really stupid, doesn't it? Because how can I? How can I delight in you because of this thing that I don't have? Because after all, God, unless you give it to me, I can't delight. Because what have you done for me? Now, that's a key step, trusting in God sufficiently so that you come to rest, not in what he can give you, but simply who he is for you. It may also have a profound effect on the kind of desires you must have met 
in order to be content. I can't be content unless I have this one thing. And that doesn't mean that, that we don't continue to cry out. It doesn't mean that we don't um, uh, uh, long for these good things that God could give us. But what we do do is we delight ourselves in him. And one of the ways you do that, in fact, maybe the primary way that you do that is you ask God to open your eyes to help you to see his grace. You ask God to open your eyes to help you to see his love. You ask God to open your eyes for you to be able to see the cross of Christ, to see the atoning work that he has done for you, to see his grace and to see his mercy. And yes, even you cry out to him and you ask him to help you to see in his daily providential care of you and the way he has ordered the affairs of your life, that in the midst of that, you can see how he's blessed you. When we were in the throes of infertility, we lost a child right before uh, Right before birth, and we were uh, we were just overwhelmed with with that. You know, we we learned um, we learned some discipline in that. That is uh, is going to sound to you as I tell you some of the disciplines we learned in that. That's going to that's going to sound kind of uh, kind of pedantic in a way, but they all added up to the affirmation that God was with us and that God was for us. My wife taught me all these things. I, I, I am an undisciplined uh, idiot. And if she wasn't married to me, I probably wouldn't learn anything, right? But she taught me a couple of things. One was she taught me that when we are broken and living in un, uh, with unfulfilled desires, that you get up in the morning because God is there in the morning. And he says his mercies are new every morning. And so you know what you do? You get up, and the first thing you do when you get out of the bed is you open the window to let the light in. Because this is the day the Lord has made. Those things are true whether I have a baby or not. She told me that. The next thing that she did is she went into the kitchen and she would begin the coffee And she would think, what are the things that God has given me? And bless her heart, you know what the first thing she said was? Not only has he given me Jesus, but he's given me a husband. (laughs) You know, that's a tough one. But she had a husband. One of the things that happens to us is, and one of the ways, one of the kind of the defaults that we do about evaluating our lives and evaluating the gospel and evaluating the work of God in our lives is we start with what we don't have. Rather than starting with the great things that God has already done for us, the great things that he's already doing for us, the things that he is already supplying to us, right? And so in the midst of that, what you do then is you begin to think, well, this is, these are the things that God has given me. And that is kind of the logic of the gospel, right? If God has given me Jesus, if he didn't, if he, if he spared not, he didn't spare his own son, then how is he not going to bless me? How is he not going to provide for me? I don't, I can't figure out in the middle of this time and this place and this brokenness how that's going to happen. But has God changed? 
Has his determination to love me, to bless me, to bring me to glory, has it changed? No, it hasn't. So in the midst of this dark hole, he sees me, he understands me, he is with me, and yes, he is, even in the midst of these things that are so hard, he has given me good gifts. You see, those are the disciplines that 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 have to come to us uh, to kind of reorient us towards the goodness and, and, and the grace of God, right? So all the desires, what we trust is then that all the desires that we have will eventually be satisfied. That's the promise of God. And not only that you'll be satisfied with that, but before the watching world, you'll be vindicated. You'll be justified, right? That's the essence of those amazing promises in Romans 8.32. If he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not freely give us all things? Or in 1 Corinthians 3.21, all things are yours. All are yours and you're Christ and Christ is God's. The Bible makes staggering promises for people who delight, whose delight is in God rather than created things. When, when the Spirit enables me not to be crazy... And when the Spirit enables me to think clearly about the truth, what do I want? I want God. I want Jesus. And if I have him and he has me, I can rest in that even as I struggle for these lesser things. The other thing that he tells us to do here is to wait. And honestly, you know, I thought about just putting that word wait up as the only word on the screen because... uh it's such a powerful word and such an ugly word in some ways and such a hard word, right? Because we don't do waiting very well. Waiting doesn't mean I sit back and I do nothing. It means I get up every day and I open the windows and I think about what God has given me and I, I take another step and I take another breath and I do those things that God sets before me today to do in the hope and the certainty that this God who raises the dead will do for me what I cannot do for myself. That this God will supply to me everything that is lacking and that I can entrust myself to him, even if it's not today, even if I have to wait. Next slide. Isaiah 64, 4 says this, From of old no one has heard or ear per, or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. That's the promise that we rest in is that this, is, that this God is actively moving and blessing those of us who have no other place to go, no other thing to do but to wait for him. So the promise is not just that God will give you what you want, but that he will vindicate and satisfy. And that even more profoundly than that, he'll do something better than give you what you want. He'll change what you want. He'll change you, right? And so the ultimate look of of what we have in Christ, when we see that we have his grace, we have his presence, we have his spirit, we have his fellowship with him and with other believers, that will dampen the drive to envy. But I'm here to tell you, I I believe that the best saint in the room, uh, uh, whoever that is, uh, we don't know who they are because they're invisible. That's the way saints, true saints are. You don't see them. Uh, uh, will struggle with envy. How do I know this? 
One day, Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, uh, knew that his disciples were getting antsy and that they went fishing. And so he went to the side of the lake where they were fishing. They'd fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus prepares some uh, breakfast for them on the seashore there, the lake shore. And he calls out to the disciples and he says, put your nets down on the other side. They catch a boatload of fish. They drag them in. Peter realizes it's the Lord. And he goes and he has this great interaction with Jesus where Jesus says, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. He restores him from his, you know, triple uh, denial. And then Jesus goes on and gives him this wonderful promise about how that, that Peter will, <clears throat> you know, this one who was so afraid, this one who was overwhelmed by fear, this one who denied Christ will actually die proclaiming Jesus to the world. It's a great promise. I mean, like, and, and you, you think, well, that's the terrible thing to say. Well, well, no, it's not. It's it's saying, you know, that thing that made you so ashamed, that thing that undid you, Peter, you, I am changing you and you're going to die for me. You know how you bragged that you would? And then you couldn't? Well, now you will. Rest in that. I love you. I will use you. You're mine. And so Peter's like, thank you, Lord. That's all I needed to know. Right? Isn't that what he said? Now he looks around and he sees John. And he's like, hey, Lord, what about that guy? What are you going to do about him? And Jesus says, what if he lives forever? What is that to you? You have me. Follow me. That's enough. That's enough. Friends, uh, the Lord knows you. He sees you and he loves you. He is with you and he is for you. And even in the midst of your struggle today, we have his promise that he's killing envy in each and every one of us. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assigned to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Let's confess our sins. Sovereign Lord, you said that in repentance and rest is our salvation in quietness and trust is our strength. But we would have none of it. Yet you long to be gracious to us. You rise to show us compassion.
Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 